So if you would, please uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. There's a wonderful portion of Scripture there in Hebrews 10.35, and it speaks about our confidence. Another word for confidence is faith, trust. And, uh, you know, we get beat up pretty good throughout the year and uh, throughout our life, I would, I would say. Wouldn't you agree? Anybody here? You got some bumps and bruises and scrapes? Life has a way of doing that, and sometimes we lose our confidence. I love this picture of this little kid. You know, I mean, this kid is a superhero. In his mind, he is going to conquer the world. He is all-powerful, and he is mighty. And you know what? That's what some of us look like in, in the spirit realm, <laughs> little kids. But when we speak the word of the Lord, there's a lot of power and mighty angels behind it. Amen? We need the confidence again. How many of you have sometimes lost your confidence in your calling? Lost confidence even in God, confidence in faith, confidence in most everything. And I want to tell you, confidence is huge. It's really, really important. And the Bible speaks to this. And what I want to share with you is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, it says this, Do not throw away your confidence, for it will be richly rewarded. Now that verse became very important to me because there was a time in my life where we had walked away from a church that was in chaos and had been split and uh, it was a mess and it, it greatly afflicted us and I remember being in a worship service where I felt uh, I had enough of the church world and church work and ministry and uh, the Lord really ministered to me from this verse. In the King James, it says, cast not away. Cast not away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. And, uh, you know, I was on the verge of that. I was done with church, and I was done with all of this stuff. And uh, I wanted to get rid of it. And I was losing my confidence in the Word of God, and I was losing my confidence in people and in God's church and even in God Himself. And God began to minister to me, and I, and I love what the writer of Hebrews goes on to say down in first, verse 39, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are delivered or saved. So it's really important that we don't shrink back and we don't lose our confidence, but, and this is, uh, this is what the writer is saying to them, that's not going to be us. He's, he's cheering them on. He says, we're not going to shrink back. Don't give up the ground that you've gained. Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary in well-doing. And it's very easy to grow weary in well-doing. And he says, don't do that. Don't lose your confidence. And he says this because it will be richly rewarded. Now the devil would love to have us cast our confidence away, become fearful, and not step out in faith anymore. We could just live a comfortable life as far as we've gone. Just batten down the hatches, close the door, shut the windows, and let's just stay here till we get to heaven. There's a lot of folks in that place where they've lost their confidence. And he says, don't shrink back. Don't lose ground. Because there's going to be a reward for your confidence. Now many of us have been weary. Impatience creeps in. 
the accuser of the brethren, the devil, he loves to make you lose your confidence. You really aren't that important to God. You know, you think you're that much. You're not very good at what you do. I know you're saved, but really you don't know much about the Lord, and your walk is pretty weak. Look at these other people, how well they're doing. Has anybody heard this uh, running around in your mind? You've heard this tape played before? That's because he doesn't have any new weaponry. He doesn't need anything new. He knows how to attack right in our weakness. Our confidence in God. Our confidence in being used by God. That's what I love about this picture. This little kid doesn't think he's eight. He's Superman! And it's in the realm, you know, of of who he believes he is. Here's the key. Do you know who you are in Christ? Apart from Christ, I'm that kid. (laughs) I'm scrawny. I can't do anything. But in Christ, I can do what? All things. My confidence isn't in me. My confidence is in him. And the devil wants to separate you from him so you look at you instead of where you should gain your confidence from. Let us not grow weary. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't, what? Give up. So the devil cannot stop any work of God. He can't. The devil can't stop any work of God. What he needs to do is stop the worker of God. You get this? Okay? So he can't stop God's calling on your life and what God has for you to do, but what he can do is get you discouraged enough to where you will stop it. You'll stop short of what God has called you to because you're losing confidence and fear is creeping in and you're listening to the lies of the enemy and and you're recognizing your own frailty. Well, I got news for you. We're all frail. And again, Scripture's very clear. We can't do a thing apart from Him. All right, we got that down. Just agree with your enemy quick enough. When he tells you you're no good, you can't do it, you say, that's right. (laughs) I agree. But with God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Turn this thing over on Him. Now, He says, don't give up because at the right time, now here it is, and we're talking about James, patience has its perfecting work, its perfect work. You have to be patient. There's a season to reap, a season to sow. There's a time when this thing's going to happen. And don't lose confidence in the meanwhile. How many of you have ever done that? Have you ever planted seeds and you're wondering when are they going to sprout, when are they going to sprout, right? right? You dig them up, have they sprouted yet? One of the worst things you can do. Expose them and go, oh, look, at they're starting to grow. Yeah, not anymore. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Be patient. Psalm 43, 5 says this. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope or put your trust in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. I like this, where he says, I will yet praise Him. That's what I'm going to do. I'm determining in my mind to keep my confidence in God and to not give up. All right? So you get the point. Don't throw your confidence away. Maybe some of you, it's too late. Go in the garbage and get it. Go back and get it, but don't lose confidence in the Lord, all right? Let me show you something about how this happens. 
I call it the cataract of faith. How many of you know cataracts? Linda, do you see cataracts? You see cataracts often, don't you? In, in your eye work at uh, the eye doctor and so forth. Cataracts. Let me give you a definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things what? Right? The evidence of things not seen. So, what I want you to notice this is a cataract is something that comes into the lens of your eye and begins to fog it up to where you can't see. Let's get a little ophthalmologist uh, drawing here. So, faith is the substance of things hoped for. All right, so you first have vision or hope cast before you. You can't have faith unless you have hope. The essential thing is hope. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? She said, I must get to Jesus and touch the hem of his garment. That was her hope. She knew, according to Malachi, that there would be healing in his wings or in his prayer shawl. When Messiah comes, there'd be healing in his prayer shawl. That's what the word wings means on his prayer shawl, that she could touch him. Now, her hope was, if I can get to Jesus. Now, what was her faith? Getting there. Crawling on the ground, cutting through the people. It was the substance that she, she had to get to Jesus. The substance of what she was hoping for made her crawl in the dirt, push past people, and touch the hem. He said, your faith has made you whole. In other words, you took the effort to get here. It was the evidence that she believed if she touched this, right? So hope is what you're gazing towards. You're putting your confidence in that. I need that. Your faith is going to make you do the effort to get to your hope. Does that make sense? All right, but what happens is, so here's your hope, you see what you want to accomplish, and it encourages faith for you to walk that way. You know that Christ saved you, people can't see him, the evidence is you're living a life believing in this hope of Christ. Now what happens is when the cataract comes in, it blocks, it the place of losing confidence is between your hope and faith. That's the key area. It cancels out the faith and it brings in fear. It's the place where our faith no longer gets activated. That's where, where our confidence is ruined. That's why I call it a cataract of faith. That's where it gets fuzzy. Have any of you lost the vision of your hope and it begins to affect your faith? How many of you ever, uh, you know that, right? You can still even see and know what you believed in, you know what your calling is, but that's ah, been delayed so much it's, it's beginning to hurt and it's not coming to pass and all of a sudden a cataract comes in and what happens? You can't see it and your faith does not want to move forward. You're casting away your confidence in what you were looking for. And so you're no longer motivated to move through it. How many of you ever felt stalled? Right? It's because you've become discouraged. You've been discouraged. You no longer have courage or confidence to move towards what you're believing in. What you know your calling is. And that's what the enemy has to do. He doesn't have to try to get you into some trap of sin, although he will do his best to do that. 
he, he doesn't have to get you in a, this situation, a car accident, or try to do this, or try to do that. All he needs to do is stall you out in your confidence in God to where you've got cataracts over your hope and faith. And then it gets worse and you can't see. And what happens when you can't see? Has anybody ever had their uh, vision? You can't see. How confident are you in moving and walking around? It becomes slower and slower. Eventually you just say, I'm just going to sit here. Because you're frustrated. Spiritually, that's where many people are. Because their confidence in seeing clearly and knowing where they want to go has been broken. And fear sets in. I like this definition of fear. False evidence appearing real. Jody spoke about this, about how faith, I'm sorry, about uh, the lies and how about fear uh, most of the time doesn't even exist but we think it does. It's a false evidence. Isn't it interesting that fear is a false evidence appearing real? But what is faith? The substance, right? Evidence of what we're hoping for. We've got to be able to see in the spirit realm and hope in God. Fear says, I'm going to present a false picture of what you're looking at. The false picture is you can't get anywhere, you can't do anything, and you're not going to amount to anything. So it's a matter of vision. Confidence in seeing. So that's what I want to bring to you. What happens? Fear comes between your vision to move forward and the effort you put into it. Some of you used to work hard at your faith. Some of you used to pray earnestly. Some of you used to study hard. But you've become discouraged. And you've lost confidence. And now it's waning. And your vision and your hope in God and your faith to do things is waning. Because you've lost confidence. Because of some reason you've lost confidence. And what it has done is separated you from the hope and the faith or effort you put towards that hope. It's a very, very subtle and key placement of doubt that the enemy has. Now, Paul was training a young man named Timothy as a pastor. And Timothy was a young man, and Timothy actually was timid. And so he needed to encourage him and Paul is writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, I know it's in you. I laid hands on you and I saw God move on you. I've watched you. I prayed for you. I trained you. And I need you to stir up that gift because God did not give us the spirit of fear. How many of you know that in King James? The spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind, right? Now, believe it or not, the NIV translates that verse much better than the King James. The the word there for fear is not the normal word that we use for fear in the Greek, which is phobia, uh, which is common to being afraid of something. The word for fear here that Paul uses 
really is cowardice or timidity, being timid. He said the spirit that God gave us is not timid. He said don't let people cause you to fear your, uh, your age, Timothy. Remember, he, he was a young man. And uh, he said don't let anybody come against you because you're young. Timothy tended to be a little bit too timid. And he said God didn't give us the spirit of timidity. He gave us a spirit. Now, what spirit did God give us? The Holy Spirit, right? Now, what is the character and nature of the Holy Spirit? Power, love, and again, sound mind thinks, you know, we think of sanity. At least I do when I read the King James and a sound mind. And we use that for clarity and soundness of mind. But actually what that means in the Greek, the sound mind is a mind that is disciplined and is at rest, at peace. Things are in order, things are right in your thinking. And you've established a right order of thinking and discipline in your mind. And so this is what the Holy Spirit does. He leads us into all truth, doesn't He? He leads us into shalom or peace, which is a well-ordered mind. And so what He's saying, Timothy, is this. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He's not making a reference to a demonic spirit of fear. Now, I'm not negating that there is a true spirit of fear, that, that there can, a spirit of fear can come upon you and paralyze you and cripple you. Maybe some of you know that, right? So there, there really is a warfare and a battle where the, the enemy can bring a spirit of fear on you. But that is not his reference in this verse. His reference in this verse is, we as people of God should no longer be timid or cowards or lose our confidence. Because the Spirit He gave us is a Spirit of power. It's a Spirit of love. Bold love. Look at I I know moms. A mother's love for her child. Do you think there's confidence between a mother and the love for her child? Mm -hmm. Don't you get in between that. Mama bears, there. That's a love, right? That's a strong love. You can say this and you can say that, but don't you talk about my mama. There's a bond, right? And so there's a love. There's a strong love. The love that God gave us is a love that's jealous for us. God loves us with a jealous love, an everlasting love. He'll do anything for us. He gave His own Son for us because God so loved us. And He wants that same kind of love in you towards Him. It's a bold love. Don't curse my God. Excuse me. I don't need to hear this language. You don't need to talk in my company about my God like that. Don't use Jesus as a curse word. That's a bold love. I'm not going to tolerate it. See what I'm saying? We've become so timid. As Christians, we think that, that, you know, we, we certainly need to show ourselves with such grace and such patience. And really, no, pull the car back over me twice. It's okay. God bless you. You know, where's the boldness that we love God? And we believe in what the Word of God says. We act as if what we believe is not important to everybody else. It's only important to us. That's just an opinion. That's not truth. We no longer defend truth. 
we only have opinions because we've become timid. We've lost our confidence to really believe this is the Word of God. This is, thus saith the Lord. Now, you've got the freedom not to obey it, but can I tell you, you'll be in a mess of trouble. You can come and I'll pray with you when you're ready. Because they eventually do. Paul's saying, Timothy, I don't need you to be timid anymore. You know where Paul is writing from? Prison. He's been arrested for his faith. And read this portion of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 1. What he's saying is, don't be timid anymore. And he said, uh, don't be ashamed of your God. And he says, by the way, don't be ashamed of me either, because I've been arrested for my faith. What Paul is trying to prepare Timothy for is the trouble headed his way. And you're going to have to make a stand. Are you going to be a coward? Are you going to be fearful? Are you going to lose confidence in God? Or are you going to gain enough confidence to know that God called you, He put His gift in you, now stand for it. Don't lose ground. That's what He's encouraging this young man to do. I believe the churches today need to be encouraging the people gathering together. Let's no longer be timid. We're coming into a time where we must be bold. We must be bold. I believe that we're going to see this year Another uh, attack on what is holy matrimony, God's design for marriage. We're going to see it. The polls have said that about 10 years ago, only 20% of the folks polled felt that uh, homosexual marriage uh, was acceptable. The polls today say over 55% approve. Public opinion has shifted. Okay? And we have to understand why it's a problem. Because redefining marriage will destroy the family and the institution of marriage. And what I believe is we're going to be seeing that in this year, you're going to see this go much further than it ever has before. And are you ready to say, this is not the will of God, and this has an impact on the family, and this will cause problems for the moral fabric of our nation? Or are we going to be too timid to do that? Have we lost confidence in the Word of God? Or is it really just, you know, God's kind of old. It's kind of an old idea. Why, we're in the 21st century now. Think of how far we've advanced, right? Haven't we advanced so far? It's amazing. We're so kind and good and benevolent to each other. The nature of man has refined itself to such... There's no more war or tyranny or... Yeah, what world am I living in, right? Nothing's changed. And so the Word of God hasn't changed either. Let's not be timid. He says that this is a spirit. The the spirit that God has given us is a spirit of love. Why? Because it moves beyond ourselves. It's a spirit of love. It moves past who we are. True love is not just about you. It's about caring for others. It's a self-sacrificing love. This love is bold enough to speak out for the well-being of others. You don't live your life for you anymore. This is the greatest victory of Christianity, is that we are no longer so self-centered. We live for others. 
We care for others. That love is a powerful love that destroys hate. It destroys prejudice. It destroys everything. We care. We love for others with a love that's bold. And how many of you know that John said, perfect love casts out all fear? All right? Now, what does he mean by that perfect love? What he means by this, we say, well, that's God's love. God's love is perfect. But what he means by that word perfect, wherever you see the word perfect in the Bible, it means complete. It means complete, filled up. It's a perfected love. And so as God is perfecting his love in you, it is casting out fear. Because you're learning how much God loves you. You're learning what it took for Him to love you. And this love is being poured into your heart. It's being completed and filled and filled in you. You're being refined by the love of God. And that refining love is casting out the fear you have in this world. If we get to a place where we love God more than our own lives, and we love God more than our own situation, if we love God more than our own possessions, again, I appreciate what Jody had to say on Sunday, if we will get to a place like that and love like that, that is a bold love. That's not a timid love. Amen? How many of you know that's what the world needs, that kind of a love? What the world needs now. All right, now, power. He says this is a spirit of power because we don't trust in our own abilities anymore. I trust in God, and that's where we've lost confidence. We've lost confidence in trusting in His power. But His power goes beyond what we have expectation for, what we want Him to do. His power is patient. His power is transforming. But you've got to wait for it because His timing is perfect. Last of all, self-discipline. To have control of our thoughts rather than having our thoughts control us. And this is key. This is where we lose our confidence. We allow our thoughts to control us instead of us controlling our thoughts. How many of you know that you are to be driven by the Spirit of God? You're to be controlled by the Spirit of God, not your flesh and emotions. You can't trust your inner thoughts, your own ideas and suggestions. Truth came from God to you. You didn't figure it out. Truth is transcended. It came to us. We've got to trust what God's Word says. This is the hard work, and this is where most of us fail and where most of us lose confidence in God because we're judging God instead of allowing God's Word to judge us. You have to rewire, reroute your mind, redeem your thoughts, or as Paul says, renew your mind. In other words, you have to speak to your brain, to your soul. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. See, it's training it to be biblical. You have to train your mind. When you, you have to start paying attention to the way you're thinking, and when it is contrary to the Word of God, you've got to call it out. We're not used to that. We think every thought we have is a beautiful thought. Glorious thought. I thought of this myself. How many here tonight just trash your identity daily? You wreak havoc on yourself. I'm looking for hands. How many of you attack yourselves every day? Okay. So we don't even need a devil. You do a good enough job. Seriously. 
We do. Now, we have got to learn how to counter those thoughts with the Word of the Lord. That is a self-disciplined mind. A mind that says, I, I, I rebuke that. My God, I know I have things to learn. I know I have to do better. And I have to do... You, you, you give more grace to other people than you do yourselves. You're patient with other people more than you are with yourselves. And we just tear ourselves apart. But a self-disciplined, a sound mind is what the Spirit of God has been given to us so that you don't lose your confidence in what God has invested in you. God invested His own Spirit in you. He paid a high price to purchase you. There are, you are no longer your own. You were purchased with a price. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your body. That means your heart, mind, soul, and God. And so for you tearing yourself down does not give any glory to God. What'd you pick me for? I'm such a loser. Have you ever been there? And what the word of the Lord is, is that I picked you because I want to make you a trophy of my grace. I picked you because I'm going to refine you for my glory and through my spirit in you, I'm going to transform you and I'm going to use you and people will see you as a man or a woman of God. Love's going to pour through you to others that you didn't even expect you had. You're going to become bold and step into places where other people have run from. But I've called you because you're empathetic to that need. You see that person. You've been there yourself and you're running to them because my confidence and boldness lives in you. It's a power to love the unlovely. And I know that's in you, folks. But we don't use it because we disqualify ourselves and he says don't throw your confidence away god called you for a reason called you for a purpose now how do we get that how do we get there well this is how you get there there's just a special gift and an anointing from god that takes 37 hours of prayer fasting you have to go to the himalayans climb to the highest mountain and meet the spirit of Paul. No, of course not. You know what Paul says? Stir it up. That's what he says. He says, oh, look, I put little red lines under there. I forgot. Okay. He says, fan the flame. He said, Timothy, I'm reminding you, God didn't give you this spirit of cowardice, this fearfulness, this hesitancy in your faith. God gave you a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind or discipline. He said, I'm telling you this so that you will what? Stir up the gift. Pentecostals, we want God to do it. We're, we come here and we go, fix it, God. Fix it. Do something. I'm waiting. You've been to this evangelistic meeting, that one, and this great preacher, and you can't wait. Oh, he's going to touch me. Everything will be fixed when he touches me. I know because I used to do that. Anybody else ever do that? Right, you go, you can't wait. And then he touches you and he's on, and it's like, everybody else fell, I didn't. I didn't feel anything. What a dud. This didn't work. Then you attack yourself again. Paul says, you stir it up. You know the gifts in you. 
You fan the flame. I like the the NIV again, the rendering here in the King James, it says stir up. But what that word really means in the Greek, when you, you see it, what he means is you stir up the coals till they begin to burst into flame again. In fact, it makes reference to a white heat to the highest it can. Blow on those embers. Stir it up. Come on. Remind yourself of who you are and who God has called you to be. Stir up and remember. Don't you wish you had a soundtrack? <laughs> You're like, dun da 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 dun da 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 I need a soundtrack. This, my soundtrack is... How inspiring it is when you're watching movies, right? That's stirring. I need something to stir me up. That's exactly what he's saying. Stir yourself up. Remind yourself that God loves you. Stir up the gifts within you. And he says, I know you got them because I've laid hands and I saw the power of God fall on you. You remember when you got saved? You remember how glorious it was? Stir it up again. Revisit that. You've become lukewarm. You've, you've burned out and the embers are just barely alive. Stir it up. That's what I love. Back in Hebrews 10, he says this. In the same chapter, he says uh, in verse, uh, what is it? 25. He says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day of approaching. The day of what? The day of the Lord. The end times approaching. He said, you need to get together and do what? Stir each other up. Encourage each other. Fan the flame. Come on, people. That's why we gather together. We sing worship songs. And in the middle of them, we begin to look around and you see brothers and sisters with their hands raised, beginning to pray, beginning to worship and to cry and weep. And you're moved and something begins to stir because the people of God are praying together. Praying for each other. Stir it up. Stir it up. The prophetic is so important. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says that the gift of prophecy is to edify, exhort, and comfort. Begin to, when you see each other in church, begin to say, you all right, brother. I know God's calling on you. God bless you. You're gifted in the Lord. God's going to use you. Hang in there. What can I pray for? Begin to compliment them. Begin to encourage them. Who doesn't need that? Right? Sometimes when you come to church... Don't think about what you need, but think about what you can give to somebody else. Ask the Lord when you come on a Sunday or a Wednesday, Lord, uh, who can I speak to that needs encouragement? Lead me to someone that I can bless. Fan the flame. So he says, don't throw your confidence away. Stir it up. Don't be timid, Timothy. He says, stir it up. Now, let's take a look at what stirred confidence can do for you. If you stir up your confidence, I like this. Confidence is by far the strongest element of your appearance. It is. Do people know that you're a Christian? Because of your confidence. You walk with the confidence. Right? Whether you're headed for a fiscal cliff or not, you know my God's in control. We're going to make it through anything. 
right? And, and there's a confidence we wear about us. You know, they say, uh, if you don't want to be mugged, you're supposed to walk with a confidence. Because what do wolves do when they go after a pack? They go for the weak ones, right? And so if you're walking around like that, you're a target. Walk with the confidence of God. Walk and know that you're anointed. You've got the Holy Spirit in you. That you're God's child. You're called with a purpose. That you are working towards that love being perfected in you. You've got something to offer someone. Someone comes up to you and says, what can I do for you? I love, how many of you remember Sue DeVantier's testimony? Just a couple weeks ago, her house was getting broken into. A guy pulled the window off her kitchen window. She went up and she said, can I help you? Now, is that what you say to a thief who is breaking into your house? But there was this, you know, this is my house. Can I help you? And he said, no, ma'am. Put the window back and split. That's confidence. I love that. Right? This is my house. Now, what will happen is this. When you put your confidence in God, when you begin to walk in confidence, again, like this kid, he's a superhero. He belongs to Jesus. Put your confidence in God. You, your confidence is in Him, His calling, and His purposes in your life that He's going to have to work out a lot of this mess. He's going to have to show you what the issues are. He's going to have to work it out. But He does have a plan for you. Secondly, hold your position. Don't lose ground. Don't throw away your confidence. Hold fast what you've gained so far. And I love that when we did a study on the, the armor of God and we looked at the shoes that the Roman soldiers wore, their feet that were prepared for the gospel, the shoes that Roman soldiers wore had cleats on the bottom of them. So that when they were fighting an enemy and holding their shield against an enemy, they had, they had spikes on their heels that dug into the ground. And Paul uses reference to that and he says, having done all to stand, you do what? Stand. You don't lose ground. Whatever you've gained, you hold fast. Don't lose confidence. Don't shrink back. You've come this far. Hold your ground. Some of you need a rest? Fine. Take a rest, but hold your ground. And last of all, be sure to advance. God wants you to advance. God wants everyone in this room to advance further. Don't lose confidence. Let me show you a chart here that I think is pretty motivational. It's called the confidence cycle. That when you have confidence in something, you then have a new ambition. Once you begin to gain confidence, you think, you know what, I'm going to try this. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out in this. You, you've gained some confidence. Once you have confidence, you get an ambition. Or could I put it another way? You have a new hope. Your eye, the cataract's removed. You begin to see again the hope and the purpose of your calling. You begin to look to the next thing that you want to accomplish. And you begin to aim for higher goals. I've got my confidence back. I think I'm going to go to this next level. I'm going to try this, and I'm going to go here. And then with that, you get motivated. And so what kicks in? Faith. The substance of what you've been looking for. Now that your confidence back, you have ambition and higher goals, your vision's being set, you are now motivated, or faith is going to kick in to begin to move forward, and there is momentum, and then you work towards 
triumphing and having victory. When you do that, guess what else happens after you have a victory? More confidence. New hope. Faith enacted. And you move forward again. Let me close with this. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Ever-increasing glory. That's the Spirit God put in you. An ever-increasing love, an ever-increasing power, and an ever-increasing self-discipline. That's happening in all of us. God has called us from glory to glory or with an ever-increasing glory that comes with a renewed confidence, hope, and faith. Hope and faith. And why I'm preaching this now is because we're at the beginning of a new year and I'm praying for you that you'll have your hope renewed and your faith ignited into a new level of confidence. It's time for you to go to the next level of glory. Now, I don't have to say that based on your ability. I know my God. And my God called you to the next level of glory. He has established that for you. That's my God. Because what He's done is He said, I want to shape you in the image of my Son. And so He's going to take you to that next level. How many of you are ready? And say, "All right, let's go. Let's do this thing. All right, amen. Stand with me. Let's pray for that. Next level of glory. This is what we're going to do with timidity. We're going to take it and we're going to change it. We're not going to be timid. We're not going to be fearful. We're going to be bold. Be bold. So what we need to do is stir it up. Stir it up. Stir it up. Amen? Amen. Lift your hands with me. Now, Some of you have never lifted your hands. Be bold. Come on. No more timidity. Timidity. Don't be timid. Lift your hands up before God. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of praise. It's a sign of giving glory to Him. I'm going to be bold. Say this with me. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to be secure in power. And I am going to be self-disciplined. All of this by the Spirit of God. I'm going to the next level in Jesus' name. Father, I thank You for what You're doing in us tonight. Father, I pray right now a level of confidence in this.